I'm Melody Patterson Meta. I'm Melody and this Patterson Meta. Is reinventing and the this supermarket. Is reinventing the supermarket. Hi, today I'm delighted to welcome paediatric endocrinologist Dr. Robert Lustig. Dr. Lustig is well known in the field of nutrition for his epic lecture titled Sugar, the Bitter Truth, which has attracted millions of views on YouTube. The issue that Dr. Lustig was calling to the world's attention in that lecture is that when we think of sugar in terms of calories, we're really missing the point. The problem with sugar is that it's a major source of fructose, and fructose overconsumption is underpinning many of the deadly metabolic diseases of our time, including cardiovascular disease, hypertension, dementia, diabetes, and yes, obesity. Dr. Lustig is also the author of Fat Chance, Beating the Odds Against Sugar, Processed Food, Obesity, and Disease. After you listen to this discussion, I think you're really going to want to read it. In this discussion, we break out the difference between glucose and fructose and their effects on the human body. There's some interesting information here if you're interested in low-carb diets, especially when it comes to understanding fructose consumption as a cause of insulin resistance and the development of diabetes. We also discuss the glycemic index and the issue that it's probably not useful once we understand that fructose is really the major problem. So is the glycemic index actually just causing confusion? Should we just throw it out? We live in an era in which there's even an epidemic of babies being born with obesity, and also of young children developing the same constellation of diseases that we used to only attribute to alcoholism. These problems are not because unborn babies are lazy and gluttonous, or because parents are giving their children alcohol. These are issues being driven by sugar overconsumption, and more precisely, by the fructose that's in sugar. But how much is too much when it comes to sugar? And at what age is it even safe for children to consume products containing sugar? We'll talk about that. We'll also discuss whether obesity rates are really what we should be focused on as a metric for success in the current war against sugar, and why we really need to just kill the calorie and instead focus on the overarching issue of metabolic syndrome and all the diseases it encompasses and the impact that's having on a much larger percentage of the population. And I'm just going to reaffirm to you that this discussion on sugar also very much includes the processed sweetener known as high fructose corn syrup. So here we go, the vast unseen epidemic of fructose-induced fatty liver disease. How fructose makes us age too rapidly. Is fruit juice okay for children? And can sugar really give you a beer belly? In this episode called Fructose, Why Processed Sugars Are So Deadly. Dr. Robert Lustig, welcome. Thank you for having me. Dr. Lustig, it's a very big issue at the moment out there in uh, the world that we have an obesity epidemic, we have a diabetes epidemic taking place. We've just come through 
uh, quite a lot of decades where we've focused on saturated fat as the big evil. And now sugar is starting to be re-recognized and we're starting to see some public discourse on sugar. But it does concern me a little bit that sugar is still not really as as well understood as it should be. Certainly, if I could get everyone in the world to watch your uh, very popular, so far very popular uh lectures that are up on YouTube, I would because they explain so much. What I'd like to do is break down just a little bit what's really going on with sugar because it's talked about as if it's one thing, but in fact it's two. Well, uh, so the first thing you have to understand is that for the last 40 to 50 years, we have followed a nutritional strategy that was based on uh, falsehoods. Uh, it was based on uh, mistakes. It was based on correlation rather than causation. And it was also based on uh, propagandizing by the food industry to make it happen because it was actually good for them. So, you know, there are a lot of things that have sort of been set up as dogma within the uh, nutritional uh, hierarchy uh, over the past 50 years. And these uh, things are now, you know, the columns that held these things up are now uh, being uh, taken down uh, one by one. And so it, we really need to sort of rebuild our understanding of what nutrition is and why it matters. And, you know, I'm happy and uh, hoping to continue to contribute to that. So, I think you're doing a great job, by the way. So the first question is, okay, what is sugar? So sugar, and it doesn't matter if it's sucrose, which is cane or beet sugar, or high fructose corn syrup. Uh, uh, sugar, the sweet stuff, if you will, is two molecules. One is called glucose, and glucose is the energy of life. Every cell on the planet burns glucose for energy. Glucose is so important that if you don't consume it, your body makes it. And there are many cultures around the world that don't consume glucose because they can't grow anything, such as the Inuit, as an example, or the Rendili or the Tokelau or the Maasai. They consume whale blubber or meat or milk or even animal blood um, they don't consume carbohydrate at all. They don't consume glucose, yet they have a glucose level. Their body still functions. And in fact, they have no disease, no chronic disease to speak of. So while glucose is absolutely essential for the running of metabolic machinery within the body, it's so important your liver will make it through a process called gluconeogenesis. So is glucose essential to life? Yes. Is consuming glucose essential to life? No. And the food industry is very dicey on this uh, issue, saying we need sugar to live, which is absolutely, completely untrue and propaganda. Now, the second molecule is called fructose. Fructose is a holdover from our plant ancestors, the prokaryotic uh, ancestors before we split off to eukaryotes. And fructose is a storage form of energy within plants. So that's why it is, quote, fruit sugar, unquote. And fructose is a completely different molecule from that of glucose. It is certainly the same 
caloric equivalent in terms of four calories per gram, but it is metabolized only in the liver, not in every cell of the body. When you consume a bolus of fructose, it goes straight to the liver. And when the liver becomes overwhelmed, because it has a limited capacity to metabolize fructose in the same way it has a limited capacity to metabolize alcohol. And fructose and alcohol are metabolized exactly the same way, so it makes sense that there should be a limit. When you overwhelm that limit, which can happen with the consumption of a you know, 12-ounce uh, soda, what happens is your liver has no choice but to take the excess energy that is being supplied to it alone, the liver alone, and convert that extra energy into fat through a process known as de novo new lipogenesis fat making. And when the liver makes de novo, uh, make, uh, turns fructose into fat via de novo lipogenesis, then the liver has to do something with that fat. And one of, it will uh, ultimately suffer one of two fates. One is it will be exported out as triglyceride, in which case cardiovascular risk goes up, or it will stay in the liver, precipitate as a lipid droplet, and now you have non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which is instead uh, predisposes you to type 2 diabetes. If I can just so, jump in for a second, this is a, such an important piece of information to get out there because uh, we have been sold and we're still being sold sugar very much on the basis of its low glycemic index. So it looks like it's a low, it's not a very damaging thing uh, to consume to a lot of people simply because the fructose portion of sugar or the, and certainly uh, 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 fructose itself uh, doesn't seem to create an insulin response. Is that correct? Well, that is correct. And in fact, that's why it's dangerous. Um, so you are absolutely right. Uh, there, people uh, all over the world, particularly uh, people in Australia, uh, have touted this notion of low glycemic index as being important, ostensibly because glucose excursions mean insulin excursions, and insulin excursions mean shunting of energy to fat tissue. So there is no question that insulin responses being high definitely contribute to weight gain. And I do agree with that. I do not agree with the concept of glycemic index, however. And the reason is because, um, two reasons, actually. Uh, the first reason is it's not really glycemic index that matters. It's glycemic load. Right. Because yeah. it matters how much actually gets absorbed. So glycemic index does not take into account absorption. So if you consume 50 calorie, uh, sorry, 50 grams of carbohydrate within carrots, yes, because that's how glycemic index is defined, is how high does your blood glucose go when you consume 50 grams of carbohydrate in a certain food? If you, if you consume 50 grams of carbohydrate in carrots, your blood glucose will go pretty high. So carrots have a high glycemic index. However, you have to eat 700 grams of carrots. You have to eat 1.4 pounds of carrots in order to get that 50 grams. You have to eat the whole friggin' Grimway truck right. in order to get 50 grams of carbohydrate and carrots, which, of course, nobody can do. So the concept of glycemic index is a canard. It's actually a mistake because it's not glycemic index that matters. It's glycemic load. And any food can be a low glycemic load food if it comes with its inherent fiber. Right. 
which carrots do. Now, the problem is processed food strips away the fiber. So processed food does generate a high glycemic index. It also generates a high glycemic load. But real food is always low glycemic load, and that's what matters. So processed food is a problem. Real food is not a problem. And the difference between glycemic index and glycemic load explains it. Second problem with glycemic index, as, as you mentioned, the concept of fructose. Because fructose does not raise your serum glucose, fructose raises serum fructose instead, because that's what it is. And that is seven times more dangerous to your arteries because fructose, when absorbed and overwhelmed, uh, overwhelms the liver, generates a serum fructose response, which ends up causing cross-linking uh, via the Maillard reaction in the uh, arteries itself and causes uh, what's known as uh, fructose. Uh, 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 rage, uh, the receptor-associated glycemic uh, uh, endpoints, and uh, that rage, uh, R-A-G-E, those uh, advanced glycosylation end products, which happen via fructose seven times faster, are what causes the change in flexibility in arteries and contributes to heart disease. But it's not captured in the uh, glycemic index because fructose is low glycemic index because it doesn't raise the serum glucose. It raises the serum fructose. So it's not captured. It's, so the problem with fructose is it's beyond glycemic index. It has nothing to do with glycemic index. Therefore, glycemic index on the basis of these two phenomena is a canard and needs to be stricken from all nutritional uh, paraphernalia and uh, ideas. Right. And as you've talked about the, the Maillard reaction before, which of course uh, chefs would know as a cooking term. And that's really a, also a form of premature aging, isn't it? We're really cooking ourselves slowly uh, by aging or oxidizing, I guess it is, our um, body. Absolutely. So every time you cross-link a sugar to a protein, which is the Maillard reaction, which is why bananas brown, it releases, number one, it makes that protein less flexible because of the change, uh, because of the addition of the uh, glycosidic linkage. And also it releases a reactive oxygen species or an oxygen radical, which can form hydrogen peroxide. Now, hydrogen peroxide is great on your skin if you're trying to clean a wound. Mm -hmm. But can you imagine if you're making hydrogen peroxide in your liver cells? Yeah. You know, that's really not a very good thing for it to do. And what happens is you get lipid peroxidation, protein denaturation, and you get liver damage. And we see that in terms of this non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, uh, the worst of which is cirrhosis. That is that uh, Maillard reaction occurring in the liver itself. And you can actually see the browning of tissues uh, when you do surgery. Um, uh, when I was a, 18 years old, I worked in Michael DeBakey's operating rooms in Houston, Texas, and I got to see what the um, uh, uh, intercostal cartilage, you know, surrounding the sternum looked like. And, you know, it was dark brown. It's supposed to be That's white. That's disturbing. Cartilage is supposed to be white. It's dark brown. So the browning reaction occurs in all of us, and the faster it occurs, the quicker you die. And fructose does it seven times faster than glucose. So fructose is 
an oxidative stress that glucose is not. So the liver, it, sort of when we talk about uh, at uh, population levels with the high consumption of sugar and of high fructose corn syrup that we've had, particularly over the last 20 years, but certainly over the last 15 years, we've seen massive growth in uh, sugar consumption. Um, that must be causing massive amounts of liver disease out there in the population that's, that's largely Absolutely. going unnoticed at the moment. Right. So uh, we used to say that hypertension was the silent killer because you didn't you had hypertension until you stroked. Well, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is the same. You don't you have a problem until you get cirrhosis. So currently, 33% of all Americans have non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Considering that this disease hadn't even been discovered until 1980, the rise of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease constitutes the biggest epidemic in the history of mankind. Right. So, Are you seeing it in children because of your focus on pediatrics? Absolutely. Jeff Schwimmer from the University of California, San Diego, did an autopsy study back in 2006 published in pediatrics where he showed that 13% of all children who died of any cause already had fatty liver disease and 38% of obese children. And that's a new thing, right, That, as far as we're concerned. Absolutely. This is brand new. You know, prior to 1980, if you had fatty liver, it was because of alcohol. But kids drink alcohol. But boy, oh boy, do they consume well, sugar. Most people would assume, if you said cirrhosis of the liver, that this is caused by alcohol consumption. So I want to be very clear that the consumption of fructose within sugar and within high fructose corn syrup is directly contributing to a mass outcome where the population is moving towards uh, cirrhosis of the liver. But it, So that's the name non-alcoholic fatty liver diseases is that you, you are consuming alcohol to get to cirrhosis of the liver. You're consuming fructose. That's correct. I couldn't have said it better. And what we have now learned is that that liver fat is what drives all the chronic metabolic perturbations of the phenomenon we call metabolic syndrome, which has obesity, hypertension, dyslipidemia, cardiovascular disease, cancer, and dementia. It all stems from the liver fat. Right. And so my understanding is that the liver is generally a fairly forgiving organ in that if you start to treat it right early enough, it can actually repair itself. However, um, I presume that once you start developing fibrosis in the liver, and I, I'm not a doctor, you are, you'll tell me if I'm wrong, but once you start developing this fibrosis in the liver and moving into cirrhosis, that's when you start getting towards needing uh, or possibly in the future needing a liver transplant, presuming that you don't die of um, uh, coronary vascular disease in the meantime. That's right. Well, it turns out that there are three stages of fatty liver disease. The first stage is called hepatic steatosis, which just means fatty liver. Now, if you are in this stage, you can reverse it. If the second stage is called non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, where the fat, cell, the, the fat in the liver starts causing liver death and you start breaking down liver cells and you end up getting uh, inflammation and fibrosis, uh, the beginning of it. Once that occurs, the liver can't fix it. It's scarred. 
Um, and then the third stage is cirrhosis, where you actually either die or you need a liver transplant. So now 33% of America has hepatic steatosis at least, and about 5.5% of those patients go on to develop cirrhosis. So you can see that that is a very large number of people. There's going to be a lot uh, of people in the future looking for liver transplants because of their sugar consumption and high fructose corn syrup consumption over the last 10 years and now. That's correct. Um, and we've already started seeing it. And we've already done two liver transplants on 400-pound, uh, 15-year-old soda drinkers at UCSF. <clears throat> I expect that number to increase. And as you pointed out in your lectures, you wouldn't be giving your child a beer to drink and because you know that alcohol is actually really dangerous for their health. But if you're giving them a soft drink and if you're doing that regularly, you're basically doing the same thing to their health as as alcohol. Exactly. Uh, and the thing is that people still think that sugar is empty calories because the food industry has told them that for the last 50 years. And we have to debunk that. We have debunked it medically uh, and you know, academically, but you know, getting that message out to the public, particularly in the face of continued propaganda by the food industry, is quite difficult since they have a whole lot of money to drown out you know, uh, anything that the academicians or the public health people they say. They absolutely do have that power. You don't have to become obese in order to be suffering from liver disease and in order no, to be suffering all. even as a person in your teens or your 20s. Absolutely. Uh, there's a phenomenon which I uh, describe in one of my lectures called TOFI, T-O-F-I, thin on the outside, fat on the inside. Everyone thinks the fat on the outside is the fat that counts. That fat is called subcutaneous fat, and it turns out that that fat is relatively benign. So there is a, uh, a, a term that we use in uh, the obesity field called MHO, metabolically healthy obese. It turns out that about 20% of obese people have MHO, and they will live a completely normal life, die at a completely normal age, not cost the taxpayer a dime. They're just fat. They're, they're not sick. Um, conversely, on the other hand, the 40% uh, of the normal weight population have the exact same phenomena as do the obese, and they have the exact same metabolic defects as do the obese. They're just not obese. Do we have any they idea have about why some oh. are, why this is expressing itself in some people as obesity and in others probably as, I guess, diabetes or uh, pre-diabetes? That's being researched, and we don't have the answer to that yet. Uh, some of the studies that we are doing are uh, designed to actually address that question, but that still remains a question for research. Certainly, if you're a person right now who's becoming obese uh, or is already obese, this, it's sort of fortunate because at least you've got an outward sign that your body's giving you that there's something very amiss metabolically for you. 
I'm sorry, say um, that again? So I, would, I would think that if you're obese or you're becoming obese at the moment, then your body has at least given you some kind of a sign that, that there's a problem happening with your metabolism and that changes of some kind need to be made. The people who don't become obese, uh, what, what evidence do they get? What clues do they get that they're in trouble? Right. So uh, it can be difficult to tell. There are people who have this uh, phenomenon called TOFI, thin on the outside, fat on the inside, and don't know it. Uh, what uh, One thing that can uh, help uh, dis- determine that is your waist circumference. Uh, if your waist circumference is going up, that would be a good indicator, even more so than the scale, that you have uh, a... Uh, uh, visceral or liver fat problem. Uh, there are some lab tests that you can do, including a fasting insulin or a uric acid or an ALT or alanine aminotransferase, which is a uh, marker or a proxy for liver fat that can help your physician tell whether or not you might have this phenomenon as well. Right. One question that um, I, I don't believe I've heard you answer or, or speak to this anywhere else. One question that I have for you is the question of ascites uh, and or what we would know as the beer belly. Is that something that occurs from sugar consumption? And if so, uh, how, um, how can people recognize that? Absolutely. So, I mean, we've all known uh, about beer belly for years. Um, You know, kids today suffer from soda belly uh, and it's no different. You know, the substrate is different. I mean, alcohol versus fructose, but the uh, physiology, the pathogenesis, the uh, uh, mechanism within the liver and ultimately the diseases are exactly the same. So uh, type two diabetes and fatty liver disease were the diseases of alcohol. And today, children get the diseases of alcohol without alcohol. The reason is because they have a a surrogate instead, uh, and that surrogate is fructose. So um, so basically, um, people who are allowing their children to consume sugar at the moment, should they be taking their children off sugar completely? Because that in our world, that would seem a bit puritanical. Or is there a safe dosage? Because obviously, um, the dose makes the poison, as as they say. Uh, is there a safe dosage for children? And is there a safe dosage for anyone, in fact? Well, the American Heart Association just released a scientific statement about a month ago. The first author is Miriam Voss, where they say that below age two, there is no uh, amount of added sugars that is considered safe. Uh, so below age two, zero. Uh, above age two, they uh, revert back to the uh, 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 six teaspoons of added sugar per day that uh, is uh, uh, promulgated in the um, uh, previous American Heart Association uh, scientific statement that was uh, put out in 2009. Right. This is very concerning because a lot of baby formulas are actually uh, containing sugar as its their primary ingredient. Absolutely. Uh, so lactose-free formulas in particular, they substitute sucrose. I mean, so basically it's a baby milkshake. Uh, so this is something that is extraordinarily concerning to me as a pediatrician. And perhaps one of the reasons why uh, 
infant obesity is on the rise as well. We have an epidemic of obese six-month-olds. Right, and we're not going to tell those six-month-old babies that they are gluttonous sloths and that they just don't exercise enough. Well, it's the obese six-month-old that sort of, you know, is the exception to the rule that proves the point. In fact, we have an epidemic of obese newborns. Four separate studies around world, uh, US, South Africa, Israel, Russia, showing an increase in birth weight of 200 grams over the last 20 years. That's a half a pound. And when you do the DEXA scanning, which is a method for determining body composition on those newborns, it turns out it's all fat. So these kids are already obese and they're newborns. And obviously it wasn't what the kid ate because the kid didn't eat anything. It was what the mother ate. And the mother was told it was healthy, like juice. So we have a big problem. Right. And, uh, of course, juice is still being positioned as a healthy alternative. And I can tell you uh, research that I've been doing over the course of this year, market research, where we've spoken to a lot of mothers, uh, they still have quite a strong belief as in juice as a, a, a serving of fruit, basically. Yes, I understand completely. And uh, this is uh, very, very disturbing. Uh, I uh, couldn't agree more. Uh, the, the fact is that uh, fruit is good and juice is bad. And the reason fruit is good is because it comes with its inherent fiber. Now, what people don't understand about fiber, which is extraordinarily important and very to the, much to the point, because obviously, you know, we, you know, God put fruit on the uh, uh, on the earth for a reason. Um, What people don't understand is that the fiber basically sequesters a lot of the uh, sugar that you're consuming, which actually makes it um, uh, better to do, uh, better to be able to consume. And the reason is because um, the fiber feeds the bacteria in the gut. So uh, a percentage, usually somewhere between 20 and 25 percent, of the calories that you consume when you consume fruit or other foods with fiber actually don't go to you. They pass your lips, but you don't absorb them. They end up feeding the bacteria in your gut called the microbiome. And what that allows for is for fragile uh, species of bacteria to be able to proliferate because the energy is there for them to be able to utilize and they're not crowded out by some of the other negative types of bacteria. And so what you end up with is what's known as microbial diversity, which is actually protective against disease. So when you consume foods with fiber, such as fruit, you're feeding your microbiome, and that's good. So fruit is good, but once you remove the fiber, such as fruit juice, then it's basically the same as a soda. And so you're going to absorb those monosaccharides and disaccharides high up in the uh, duodenum, the bacteria don't start until the jejunum because the uh, pH hasn't changed yet. And so you're going to end up getting a bigger load of uh, sugar to your liver, and then your liver is going to convert that to fat. If you can inhibit that dose of sugar going down uh, into the jejunum, then the bacteria will chew it up. You never got it, even though you ate it. So the concept of calories in the face of fiber doesn't even make sense. So 
Another reason why we're trying to kill the calorie as a modality of figuring out what to do. It hasn't worked in 40 or 50 years, and it's not going to because it's just wrong. Is there such a thing as too much fruit? A lot of people do believe that you can't have too much fruit. Um, this is a complicated question, and I'm going to beg off because we don't actually have the data to be able to answer that question effectively. Right. Okay, that's fair enough. And um, I do want to just point out that we have this low-carb movement, but when, you're, when we're talking about carbs in general, the starches, are they're glucose food, so they're not a fructose food like sugar or high-fructose corn syrup. Um, that's right. So um, uh, the things that are um, low uh High fructose corn syrup and sucrose based uh, are clearly way worse. And those are things that are added to food as opposed to the naturally occurring sugars within the food itself. And what about lactose? Where do you stand on that? So lactose is two sugars as well. It's glucose, which we've talked about already, and another sugar called galactose. And galactose is unique to human and uh, animal milk. Galactose gets converted to glucose in the liver immediately uh, through the enzyme uh, galactose 1,6-uridyl transferase. And if you're missing that enzyme, which is a disease that we take care of in pediatrics called galactosemia, uh, you're going to be dead by age two months uh, due to uh, E. coli meningitis. Uh, and if you survive that, you're going to be severely mentally retarded because galactose building up in the brain can cause problems as well. So that is a very serious disease, and it's actually screened for on newborn screening. So the presumption is if you don't have that disease, then galactose is not harmful to you because you can metabolize it. So it does not generate an insulin response. It's converted to glucose in the liver. And so milk sugar is not bad for you. We're talking about added sugar. Right. Here. One of the things that I found very interesting about your lectures online was realizing uh, in my own mind that fructose is also contributing to diabetes because certainly I had the image for a long time, and I think a lot of people do, that diabetes is linked to the glucose metabolic pathway, and which is linked to insulin. But what you have been telling um, us is that it's more than that. Fructose actually also is a, a cause of diabetes. Absolutely. This is the work that we've been doing uh, here at UCSF, demonstrating that the liver fat actually predicts the insulin resistance. So uh, there's also the possibility that um, uh, because of what we call ER stress, endoplasmic reticulum stress, which goes up with fructose, uh, it may be that insulin, the insulin molecule itself may not be able to be folded properly, or the insulin receptor may not be able to be folded properly, in which case you would have fewer insulin molecules or fewer insulin receptors, both of which could end up contributing to hyperglycemia. We have demonstrated that we can take, if we take fructose out of the diet and substitute it with glucose, so starch for sugar exchange, that even though the glucose load goes up, the insulin response goes down and patients become more insulin sensitive in 10 days flat. That's so amazing. We are, very we are very comfortable with the notion that fructose is driving chronic metabolic disease 
uh, certainly at the liver and possibly at the pancreas as well. And it's very interesting to me that metabolic disease or metabolic syndrome is actually not being spoken of more widely because uh, it seems to me that there's a lot of other symptoms that you can be showing or a lot of other uh, metabolic issues that you can have beyond just obesity or beyond just diabetes. That's right. Um, metabolic syndrome is something that the you know physicians have heard of and understand, but this is really the important thing to get out to the public. They don't understand that these various diseases, heart disease, diabetes, uh, hypertension, et cetera, uh, cardiovascular disease, that these are all related and that they all have a, um, uh, uh, shall we say, a subcellular uh, commonality. And uh, when you understand how fructose affects the liver, how fructose affects various organs in the body, you can tie them together and it makes it a much bigger problem than people think. The other problem, of course, is that people think they're destined to these things. For instance, my mother had diabetes, therefore I'm going to get diabetes. Well, yeah, your mother probably uh, consumed uh, foods that were very high in sugar uh, herself and Therefore, so did you because you lived in the same home, because now, now, even though you live in you know, your own home, that's still what you're doing. Um, so you know, people think it might be genetic, but it actually very well may be um, the gift that keeps on giving in terms of uh, changes in the environment. Now, sugar is uh, starting to be recognized by more people as an addictive substance. Is that more linked to glucose or more linked to fructose? So this work is not by, done by us, but by uh, people uh, elsewhere, uh, Eric Stice at the University of Oregon, and also uh, by Anya Jostroboff at Yale University. Uh, and what they have shown is that only fructose lights up the reward center. Glucose lights up other areas of the brain, but only fructose lights up the reward center. Other people think fat might be addictive. No, fat uh, activates the somatosensory cortex. Uh, if you will, mouthfeel. So it definitely increases the salience of sugar, like a Cinnabon, but it doesn't in and of itself have addictive capability. No, it's this very specifically is uh, right in fructose's uh, wheelhouse. Right. And um, as you've pointed out uh, numerous times in your work, the difference, the main difference between consuming fructose in the form of sugar or high fructose corn syrup against consuming alcohol is that alcohol is going to make you drunk. So there's a point at which you no longer will be consuming the alcohol because you'll be drunk on the floor. But we don't have this safety valve with fructose. That's correct. In fact, if anything, it's worse because since fructose does not suppress uh, the uh, hunger hormone ghrelin that comes from your stomach, when you consume foods containing fructose, that new, those, those nutrients uh, don't necessarily uh, obviate your hunger. And so you may stay hungrier. In fact, um, David Ludwig, my colleague at, the, uh, at Boston Children's Hospital at Harvard, um, he gave kids a pretreatment with a 150-calorie soda and then let them loose at the fast food restaurant. Did they eat less or did they eat more? Turned out they ate more. And the reason was because the soda, even though it had 150 calories in it, didn't suppress their ghrelin. So they ended up consuming even more. So yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, with alcohol, 
Alcohol is self-limiting because you can only drink yourself under the table once a day. But with fructose, you can consume it nonstop. And this is actually what's going on in a lot of the Middle Eastern countries because they don't trust their water supply, but they sure do trust their Coca-Cola. Yes, and you have also stated that fat children tend not to get this sugar high where they're bouncing off the walls. So that's a great, uh, if you're giving uh, sugar to a, a fat child and they're not bouncing off the walls, then you know that you've got trouble. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, you know, this is a complicated uh, dynamic and not every uh, child who consumes sugar, uh, you know, demonstrates, quote, the sugar high. But I've never in my entire career seen an obese patient demonstrate the sugar high. That's so interesting. And and um, it should be just something that people bear in mind with children. If now a child who is not fat, can that happen to them as well? Just because they are already developing um, this uh, fat on the inside or thin on the outside, fat on the inside syndrome? We don't know that for sure, but that would be an assumption. Uh, it's likely, but I can't say that that's true. Now, I just want to start uh, drawing this to a close because I know you have time limitations. Um, so the question I have for you is, is obesity, has it been too much of a focus is, or is it a canary in the coal mine? But my concern is that there's an awful lot of focus on obesity and not very much focus on the host of other issues that may not represent themselves as obesity, but they're also appearing in society as a result of sugar consumption. So obesity is the thing you can see. And people you know, say, well, obesity is, quote, energy balance. You know, you eat too much, you exercise too little. So number one, you can see it. Number two, uh, you can ascribe blame because then you're a glutton and a sloth if you're obese. So obesity is not the problem. Obesity is a marker for the problem because anyone can get metabolic syndrome. Anyone can get this TOFI. Uh, it's true that some people, when they get metabolically ill, will become obese and some won't. Uh, that doesn't necessarily negate the importance for the normal weight metabolically ill person to know what's going on. Uh, obesity is the wrong target, and I have said it many times. But unfortunately, if you believe that a calorie is a calorie and you believe sugar is just empty calories and you believe that obesity is the cause of the other diseases rather than the result of the metabolic dysfunction, then you can't get past it. And then it becomes dogmatic for you. And that is what we are seeing in uh, virtually every uh, institution here in America and around the world. I'm very pleased that the World Health Organization recognizes that sugar is a problem unrelated to its calories, which is why just this past week they announced that they were uh, uh, in favor of sugar taxation to try to limit these diseases rather than focusing on obesity. Dr. Robert Lustig, I want to thank you so much for this conversation today. As always, you are most enlightening. So thank you very much. I'm Melody Patterson Meta. I'm Melody Patterson Meta. Is reinventing and the this supermarket. Is reinventing the supermarket. <laughs>